It is the 200 level episode 122 Unchained. Not for any sports reason at all, but not only that again, Halen and his untimely passing this week. And it was tough news for one of my favorite rock bands and obviously one of the best rock guitarists of all time. So yeah, there's no connection. I was trying to find some sort of pun, get a Van Halen title in there for what happened in the Bears game or with Illini Sports. That pun wasn't really coming together, so let's just call it what it is, Unchained, episode 122. And what a Thursday that was. Now, the Yankees played earlier, so as you all know, Yankees fan over here, and I did not really expect the best outcome with Jordan Montgomery on the mound. Somehow the Yankees win that game with a great bullpen performance. They get five runs, big home run from Glaber Torres later in the game, and he got a game five this afternoon, or this evening, Garrett Cole on the mound, and that's kind of what you paid him for. So I'm super pumped about that. And meanwhile, I have the Bears game on, and we're Zooming for a friend's birthday. He lives up in the Chicago area, and it looks as if the wheels are coming off in the first quarter and a half, and everything that we thought the Bears might be. All of our worst-case scenarios were coming to fruition. A defense that can't really tackle all that well and wasn't making big plays. An offense that was just erratic at best and can't outrun the ball. And you know what's funny is some of those issues are still there, and yet they won. So by the time that game is over, I'm almost not quite shaking, but you know when you get tense at the end of a game and that excitement is brewing inside of you and you can't quite sleep right, you're a little bit jumpy and jittery, right? I had that feeling, and what that tells me is I'm invested. I am invested in this team for better or worse, and ultimately that may be for worse. Again, I don't know how good this team is. I don't think any of us are pegging them as a Super Bowl favorite, that's for sure. But a 4-1, and one, the chances are they will find their way to a playoff spot. Even with this tough schedule coming up, you get an extra wildcard spot in the NFC and the AFC. The NFC East, clearly they are not going to take one of those spots. That division is terrible. The rest of your division, the Lions and the Vikings, come on. That's nothing really to worry about, I don't think at least. And then you look at the West and the South and you see some good teams. But apart from the Packers and let's say the Seahawks, those are the two teams I look at as legitimate threats to win the Super Bowl out of the NFC, everything else seems somewhat comparable or at least beatable. So last night against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, there's this mental block I have whenever the Bears play Tom Brady. And this dates back to 2002, the year that the Bears were here in Champaign. And it was a 315 kick, Patriots-Bears. That Patriots team had won the Super Bowl the year before. And if I recall, they did not make the playoffs that following year, but they were still the defending Super Bowl champions. The Bears had a lead late in that game. Tom Brady and the Patriots came back. It was an electric atmosphere despite that Bears team finishing 4-12 and and one of the best football games I've been to, but there's been this sense that you just can't beat Brady, and even though he's, what, 43 years old, 42, and with the Tampa Bay Bucks instead of the New England Patriots, as I'm watching that game last night, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. I keep waiting for him to make that big play, especially with a minute 17 left. Buccaneers have the ball. He's driving down the field. Well, almost, but not quite. And, oh God, we've seen this story before. Even a couple years ago, when the Bears went 13-3, and or sorry, 12-4, and and they lost that game against the Patriots at home by, what, a yard or two on a Hail Mary that didn't quite finish the game? And and this thought that, oh my God, this 20-year stretch, if you think about it, from 2000 to 2020, how the Bears have been one thing and Tom Brady and the Patriots have been another. And I understand that most franchises are not as good as the Patriots and most quarterbacks are not as good as Tom Brady. That is an all-time kind of conversation you're having with those two things. Nonetheless, 
it brings it all back home that the Bears in these last 20 years have had those few seasons where you're really excited. It's special. They make the playoffs. They have a chance to win the Super Bowl. But unfortunately, I can count those on one hand. So in the first half, all these things are going through my mind, which makes the victory that much sweeter, even if it doesn't mean anything long term. And that's the key. I don't know if it does or if it doesn't. I don't think this offense has yet found out how to be consistent. The defense, though, might be something to get excited about now that they finally got a pass rush going against a pretty good offense and they were able to keep Brady and that offense in check, despite a few guys out for the Buccaneers. No doubt they had their injuries. But to see Khalil Mack make an impact like he did two years ago, he was all over the field last night. And Kyle Fuller's hit, that was the one. That was the moment where full meatball Mike came out. And the worry that that was going to stand as a flag, but kudos to the refs, they actually got that one correct, how it was a clean hit, but it was a vicious hit. Caused the fumble, really changes the tenor of that game. So yes, a big hit, even in this NFL, can still change the momentum of a game. At least it felt like it did last night. That's going to be the image that we probably take away from it. And if this Bears team can find their way to a 10-6 and record. And look at this now. All they have to do is essentially go 500. Six and five will get them to a 10 and six record and a wild card spot, especially in this NFC. And in this year of all years, long term concerns be damned. I'll take it. I'm going to live in the moment and appreciate anyone that they get, even if it means that we're going to be kind of in purgatory, NFL purgatory for a while, because we won't get that quarterback early in the draft. Keep in mind, this team, even if they fall off and even if they struggle, they are not going to probably find their way to a top 10 pick unless the wheels completely come off this thing. And I don't see that happening, mostly because Matt Nagy, despite his play-calling issues, might be a good head coach. So we got some more Bears to talk about. I'm excited about that in the morning after. Still kind of living off that high of that victory. We have a little bit of Illini football to talk about. There's some comments from Josh Matterbebe that I wanted to get to that I think lends itself well to a conversation that Lubby has been having about his players being more active and just a general conversation that everybody's having on Twitter right now. Wanted to get to that in a little bit as well. Before we do, though, got to remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com. Now, here's what you do. You go online. You can get a custom zone with any topping that you want. I think they got like 30, 35, 40 different toppings up there. Get any combination you want or get one of the favorites, like a Maui Wowie or a buffer zone. Dipping sauce is included. They deliver it right to your door. That's the best part. Anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, DPDO will deliver a piping hot calzone to your doorstep. Go online to dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby. Online at fourthandkirby.com. A brand new t-shirt just in time for Illini basketball season. We're, what, six, seven weeks away. That's Thanksgiving weekend that they're going to have that MTE, multi-team event, over at the State Farm Center. Fourth and Kirby has a new flying Illini t-shirt. You got to check it out. It's got the vintage logo. Like all their apparel, though, vintage-inspired stuff. I have my Illini football t-shirt for game days. I'll probably be getting this flying Illini shirt for basketball game days as well. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level. That gets you 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Brian's been helping us out with our move. In a week, we're going to be in our new house. Moving day is next Friday, which may mean just one podcast next week. But what's made it so much easier? Working with Brian, getting homeowners, getting auto, getting a nice bundle from State Farm. He's been so easy to work with. I already knew this ahead of time, but had not had hands-on experience working with Brian and his staff. It's been terrific. Cannot recommend them enough. And when it comes to insurance, 
that's the kind of thing that I need to be able to trust the agent because I know nothing about it. He knows everything about it and also just makes it as easy of a process as it could be. So go online to brianismyguy.com for State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, brianismyguy.com. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. Speaking of brianismyguy.com, Trevor Valise, Isaac Ambrose, beginning October 24th, that's Saturday, second half post-game podcast on the 200 level. We did this back during basketball season, had a lot of fun doing it. I don't know if we're going to do entire second halves, because as we know with college football especially, that could take a full two hours. You can count on at least, though, fourth quarter post-game reaction podcast for the 200 level for all Illini football games. Trevor will be available at least for the away games. He might be working media coverage for some of the home games, but Isaac is going to be around for all eight, I believe, or all nine. I guess there are nine games and maybe a bowl game. Who knows? So we're excited to get those going again. That will be posted on Saturdays after the game. You can count on maybe an hour, hour or so after each game, we'll get it up there. That means the podcast will be half fourth quarter reaction, half post game reaction. And if they win, well, here's the thing, right? We, we found this out last time that if they lose, you can listen to it cathartically and hear how angry or frustrated we get. If they win, it's just a nice shared sort of celebration. And you get to relive that fourth quarter and the post game and all the positive vibes that come from that. But we enjoyed it. We're really excited to get back to it. And when we do get back to it on October 24th, it's going to be bizarre to think that it would have been over seven months since the last time we did one of those podcasts. Cannot wait to get back to it. I already got the studio setup idea for the new house where the TV will be in the corner of my studio table. I got the computer here to record it in the mixer. And I will just be about, my face will literally be two feet away from this TV watching this Illini football game against Wisconsin on October 24th and talking with the guys. So Isaac and Trevor are up for that. Midweeks, you can count on podcasts with me and Harry Black. We will start that the week after the Illinois-Wisconsin game. That'll give us a game to react to and a game to look forward to. Harry is busy with his ESPN schedule out in Connecticut. So midweeks, we're going to find a spot. We will get that out to you midweeks. You also have the Mondays with Mike podcast on the Illini Inquirer podcast with Jeremy Warner. That will drop every Monday. So we got a busy fall. And I'm excited for that because it has been an absence, not of sports. The last few months, we've actually been pretty spoiled with it. But Illini sports. And when it comes to this podcast specifically, that's what we're about. You know, I can talk about the Bears, and I will talk a little bit more about them in a second. But ultimately, Illini basketball and Illini football, that's where it's at. So we are very excited for all of that, to get going with those guys again, to have the, the segment with Jeremy every Monday on his podcast. And that will help me kind of scratch my itch of talking Illini sports, and hopefully you enjoy it as well. So one more point to that. If you are enjoying it, Ratings and reviews help. Even if you aren't enjoying it, I'll take a hate review. That's fine. But Apple Podcasts especially, give us a star rating. Maybe write us a review. That helps us get discovered when people type a line eye into the search engine. And that will go a long way as we enter football and basketball season for people that are looking for an line eye fix. Because God knows when things are going good, when things are going good, people will absorb any line eye content that they can. We got a really good base of listeners. Let's expand it. Let's make the 200 level the top podcast on the block. We are, get this though, this is really random, a top 50 basketball podcast in South Korea. I have no idea what that's about. We got some fans in South Korea apparently. I, I'm sure that they're NBA fans as well, so I don't know where that niche got started, but we're doing great in South Korea. And of course, we're doing great in the state of Illinois. So those were two major markets, the state of Illinois 
and South Korea. Thank you for any listener out there in South Korea right now. All right, let's get to this Thursday night football game. Talked a little bit about it in the intro. Decided I'd put money on it for fun. On the FanDuel app that I have, there was this bonus bet where I laid down five and I would have won 25 if the Bears won, just straight up won, and the over was 44. And I felt pretty good about that at halftime. Bears up 14 to 13, looked like the offense had gotten it going, and then felt even better about the over at least when the Buccaneers came out and they were moving the ball fairly well in the first part of the third quarter. Then the game kind of slowed down, and it turned into one of those muck up Bears victories that I've grown so, so accustomed to over the years, where they are not going to win the style points battle. They never will. Nick Foles is certainly not a quarterback that's going to do that. He had a few of those throws that were just complete ducks in the air, just lingered in the air for five, six seconds, which took me right back to that playoff game two years ago, where if I recall, Golden Tate caught a couple of these totally lame passes and it just it it made you want to pull your hair out thinking why is this just happening to fall in the right place it was not doing that all the time yesterday and in fact Nick Foles had a couple throws that made you think could we get Mitch back in there and you can look at my timeline I'll leave him up there and I think Bears fans their timelines were similar but the first quarter was bad it was really bad missed throws there was an out pattern to Allen Robinson that missed terribly a five-yard out pattern That would have been a first down, would have kept the drive going. And you're thinking, well, I know that Mitch isn't accurate, but he also has his legs that he can use. And is this really all we have? I mean, literally was thinking, should we go back to Mitch? That's how ineffective Nick Foles was. We saw, though, that the tempo picked up late second quarter. Kudos to Nick Foles. There's a video going around today where he is getting up in Matt Nagy's grill. And for lip readers out there, it does seem as if he is telling him tempo 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 we had him on first down we had him on their heels he's telling them this is what we got to do if we want to advance the ball and they did that in the late second quarter did not continue it in the third quarter though so the bears this four and one team has yet to score five games they've yet to score in the third quarter which is arguably the most important quarter in football you grab that momentum early in the second half and you can carry that to the end of the game they haven't done that and yet they're still four and one it makes very little sense But as that game goes on, you see that the offense, especially in the fourth quarter, makes the plays that they need to. The kicker makes the kicks he needs to. I don't know about you, but when I saw that camera angle, this was the same crew, I believe, that did the Bears-Eagles game, right? Well, actually, no, that's not true. Thursday Night Football is Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. But that camera shot behind the kicker, who was on the right hash, it was a 38-yard kick for Santos. I think it was 41 yards for Parkey, something like that. But it just brought back that PTSD from that moment, and he made it. He made it. Now, I was watching it with friends on Zoom, and I had the live antenna feed, and they had fire stick kind of stuff going on, so they were delayed, and I had to suppress my reaction, but it was difficult because I was, as I mentioned earlier, jittery watching this game, and this seems to happen to me. Whenever you get into October, November, the chill in the air, you're watching football. I was out on the porch, so it was getting a little bit chilly out there too, and then the game is tight in the fourth quarter. I feel my body get tight. It's exciting, right? That's part of the fun of watching sports and really wanting your team to win, and it manifests itself physically. But I did not let on with my face if he made it or not, and then, of course, the Zoom room just blows up with reactions, and it was oddly, I don't know how to put this. As he kicked it, for some reason, I wasn't that nervous once the ball was snapped. I thought, eh, it's probably going through. Now, Bear in mind, I thought the same thing when Cody Parkey kicked it and ultimately was missed. But there's some weird vibe about this team. If you think about 
let's say, the Cody Parkey game through all 16 games of the regular season last year. Everything that could go wrong essentially did go wrong. And that's why they found their way to an 8-8 eight and eight record and a fairly mediocre season, right? It was a team that, if I look back on Bears teams in my lifetime, one of the least enjoyable seasons just simply because of the expectations that you had on them and the fact that everything that seemed to go wrong did. This year is the opposite of that. And Jeremy and I have talked about the comparisons to 2001. They go 13-3. and three. That team was not a 13-win caliber team, but they created their own breaks. And eventually, you kind of are what your record is. That's not to say this is a Super Bowl team. We know that they are not, right? It would take a whole lot of luck for them to find their way to this Super Bowl in this year. But they're at least going to make things interesting. And they're going to win some more games because they still have some playmakers on defense. They have a quarterback that can make winning plays, but more specifically doesn't make losing plays, right? Game manager kind of thing. We got accustomed to that with Kyle Orton. Keep in mind, Kyle Orton, his full season starting back in 2005, they went 11-5. and Rex Grossman, I think, started late that year. He came in December, but Kyle Orton got, you to, I think, an 8-1 and record. So all those factors are in play here, where this year we were craving any sort of local sports thing that we could latch on to. And the Bears are giving that to us. It's October 9th. The Bears are 4-1. and They are a half game back in their own division. I don't think they'll catch the Packers. They are a juggernaut, it looks like, this year, and that's a scary thing to be. But at least it's going to set up, in all likelihood, two Packers matchups in late November and I think January 3rd, the last game of the year, that might be meaningful. As I'm watching that game last night and you see Nick Foles begin to make completions, you see Allen Robinson make up for another one of those weird situations where he was not able to bring the ball in. And then it bounces up and then it's intercepted. That's three times this year. And he's a great receiver, and yeah, probably pay him his money, I, I get it, but it, it's so frustrating to see that happening as the contract negotiations are going on, and I hope that the front office isn't looking at that as petty as I am. Oh, Alan, you caused another interception, why would we resign you? I don't think they would take that approach, I hope they wouldn't, but as a fan, it's hard not to let that creep in a bit. Why are we paying you? Come on, you've caused three interceptions. No, he's good. Cordero Patterson was a stud last night. David Montgomery is a good running back. It's a shame that they cannot find more consistency in the run game, but they do seem settled, at least they did last night, on passing it a lot. And ultimately, that worked out okay. But you would like to see David Montgomery get some more consistency, despite the fact he's elusive, he's a bouncy guy, and he makes things happen. So there are things at play here. Mooney looks to be a good rookie wide receiver, and that means that Anthony Miller is becoming less of a factor. And Jimmy Graham... The $9 million man, when they signed that after seeing what little he did with the Packers last year, it was puzzling. When you see other tight ends then go off the board for less money than that. Jimmy Graham has been a surprise. Is he New Orleans Saints Jimmy Graham? No, but he's certainly a lot better than Green Bay Packers Jimmy Graham. And he is helping you to this 4-1 and start. Without Jimmy Graham, this team's not 4-1, and if we want to keep it really simple. He has been the safety valve Well, let's put it this way. He was the safety valve at first for Mitch Trubisky. We see the touchdown last night. That was a highlight reel play. That was vintage Jimmy Graham. So the offense, it is what it is. I think they can get you 20 to 24 points a game. I think the defense can hold the other team 24 points or less, right? And that's the formula. I don't think there's going to be many, if any, blowouts in favor of the Bears this year. And conversely, I don't think there's going to be any time that the Bears are blown out themselves because we've seen... Three times they played teams with really good offenses. The Lions, and you can laugh at that, but Matt Stafford and that offense can put up points. 
The Falcons offense, same thing. And we know that Brady and the Buccaneers, that's a pretty good offense too. Anytime those games could have went off the rails, they didn't. So we're looking at a defense that is bend, not break. And that kind of reminds me of 2001, as Jeremy and I have talked about. A defense that was reliant on takeaways. It masked a lot of issues. They gave up a decent amount of yards. I don't think they were total defense number one or even top five that year. It was much more takeaway based, right? But when they needed to make the play, they did. And that's what this defense is doing too. And then the special teams. I mean, the kicker made the kicks yesterday. There might be a time that comes up later this year where he misses the winning kick and we're back in our sort of pulling our hair out thinking, God, we still don't have a kicker. That might be the case, right? But at least through week five, it's not. All that together, it's a fun year. It's a weird year. It's a year that we can't really put our finger on what this team is. But with Matt Nagy, I think we can say one thing. The play calling is suspect. And whether that's a result of not having a good quarterback, and Nick Foles is fine. I don't know how good he is, but not having a good to great quarterback, that's certainly a factor. Not having a ton of options of wide receiver, that's a factor as well. Not having a lot of depth at running back, another factor. How good is this offensive line? I don't even know. So it's not as if Matt Nagy is working with the Packers offense here. But as a head coach, if you think about this, last year at 8-8, eight and eight, it was not a great season, but that, it could have gotten bad. It could have gotten really bad when every single break went against that team. And even into December, they're hanging in there, right? They're, they're doing what they can, and it just wasn't coming together. But they did not lose themselves. He did not lose the locker room. We're seeing now that this locker room at 4-1, and one, they, they believe, they like their coach, and they respect him. And you can even look at that video of Nick Foles and Matt Nagy going back and forth. But I don't view that as some sort of uh-oh moment. I view that as a veteran quarterback that has won a Super Bowl and his coach, and they're having a conversation. They're both fired up about it. But I think there's a mutual respect there, if I had to project something onto it. His record right now, let's see, 12 wins, 8 wins, 4 wins. So that's 24, 4, 8, and 1, 24 and 13 regular season record. 24 and 14 if you include that playoff game. And we can talk about that, but Yet again, Nagy's team essentially did enough to win that game, and it was a missed kick from a kicker that had been an issue all year. So his record speaks for itself. This is somebody that knows what he's doing in terms of managing his personnel, managing the personalities, getting them to show up for the most part on game days. The play calling, could he ever acquiesce that to somebody else? That would be interesting. I wouldn't necessarily mind seeing that. And maybe after this year, that is a, a calculation that you make. And you say, you're still the head coach, but we're going to bring in someone else to call plays. I don't know what that would do to the chemistry of the locker room or anything like that, but Nagy at least seems to have some humility and is a little bit more open-ended and honest in his assessments of himself and his play calling than some coaches are. So maybe that's a possibility. But just in terms of his head coaching ability, it is difficult to say that he's not a good head coach. The record speaks for itself. He's a good head coach. And for the Bears, after Mark Tressman and after John Fox in his the twilight of his career, that is a relief. Because Lovey, let's take him for example, we grew exasperated because those teams just stopped making the playoffs consistently. And the offense was always an issue, right? But he was a good head coach for the Bears at that time. Matt Nagy is a good head coach for the Bears at this time. We want to raise the bar. As a Bears fan, I so badly want to raise the bar so it's not that we're counting on once every five years for a really good team to maybe get that shot to make a Super Bowl. 
But that is an easy formula to change. Well, it's not easy to change, but it's obvious to identify. If they had a quarterback, this whole thing's different. They don't. Everything is a stopgap. That is the history of the Bears. Everything is a stopgap measure at quarterback, and it might last you two or three years at most. But there's no franchise quarterback here. Nick Foles is not. But what you're probably looking at is a situation where he finishes out the year. You go 10-6. and six, You make a wild card spot. Maybe you want a game in the playoffs. Maybe you don't. Everybody comes back in all likelihood, probably including Ryan Pace. I know. I'm not a huge fan of that either. And then you what? Take a flyer and a quarterback in the first round? Late first round, mid-first round? Take a flyer in the second round? Try to bring in somebody behind Nick Foles? I don't know. But, God, they got to get lucky sometime, right? So those long-term concerns aside, though, it was a really fun night. It was exciting to feel that jittery jumpiness again, to use some alliteration, and to have a hard time going to sleep because you were that pumped up and that wired from a Bears game. So kudos to them. They're making this a fun season. They are winning games that they should not be winning. But eventually, it's a pattern. There are three of these wins that they've had. Three against well, <laughs> I've outside decent teams. We know decent offenses at a minimum. I would say the Buccaneers are a decent team that will make the playoffs themselves, probably with a similar record to what the Bears have, 10-6, and six, something like that. But overall, though, they're getting it done. The defense is making plays in the second half when they need to, and the offense is doing just enough. I'm waiting, and we all are, for an offensive explosion. Don't count on it. Don't count on it. But eventually, you know, Matt Nagy, his play-calling sheet says, B-U. I think he wants to get weird, right? So get weird. Use tempo. Get Nick Foles slinging it left and right. Have him throw 45 times a game. I don't care. The run game thing, that didn't work two years ago when they were 12-4. and four. And they still almost made it to the Super Bowl. I mean, and I say that. If they would have just beaten the freaking Eagles, I think they go out to L.A. and that's a pretty awesome game. But you can get it done. In this NFL, you can somehow find a way to a really good record without that effective of a run game. By the way, David Montgomery, pretty good out of the backfield catching the ball too. And that's that's a weapon that you have. Tariq Cohen wouldn't be nice to have, but I don't think that is going to completely handicap this offense. All right, so that's the most we've ever talked Bears on this podcast. But, you know, I'm feeling it. And why not at 4-1? and one, it's, it's pretty exciting. Last night the Yankees won too. They got Garrett Cole tonight. By the time you listen to this, you may or may not know the result of that series. I would love would love a Yankees-Astros rematch. I don't think Major League Baseball is hoping, in terms of ratings, for a Rays-Astros series. I don't know if that means we're going to see a few strike zone calls tonight in favor of the Yankees, even though earlier in the series, I actually thought there was a moment in Game 3 with Tanaka where at the top of an inning, or I'm sorry, at the bottom of the inning before Tanaka took the mound again, the Yankees were a ball away from walking in another run, and there were two borderline calls that I think Morton was the pitcher for the Rays that night. Two borderline calls he got to get a strikeout instead of a walk. And then the very next inning, there was a strike-em-out, throw-em-out situation, or so it looked like, but instead it was called a ball four, even though it was a strike in the K zone. And then Tanaka throws up a three-run homer. And I thought, what is the why are what are these umpires doing? They don't want Rays Astros. And this is, trust me, the conceited Yankees fan talking, but they don't want that matchup in terms of ratings. No one's going to watch that. Why wouldn't they try to put in the fix for my Yankees? Well, I don't want them to put the fix in. I don't want them to do that. But if that means an advantageous call or two for Garrett Cole tonight, that's fine. This is the thing about podcast. In 12 hours from now, this thing is aged. So I either sound like a fool 
or you're thinking, ah, poor Carp, your Yankees got absolutely smoked tonight. Or you're thinking, hey, good for you, man. Yeah, your team's in the ALCS again, playing the world's smallest violin for all those Yankees fans complaining, right? Illinois football on the horizon as well. And as I mentioned, October 24th, so that's 15 days from recording that we have Illinois, Wisconsin. As long as Madison can get their thing together with this whole virus, doesn't look like there's an outbreak on the team. There is, of course, the foot injury to Jack Cohn, and that means Graham Mertz. Is it Grant or Graham Mertz? But he's a sophomore. He was a highly touted quarterback. He's got some mobility that could cause issues for Illinois. It's one of those devil you know versus devil you don't situations. Jack Cohn was starting for Wisconsin last year, and you were able to get the win. He's not as mobile, apparently, as the sophomore quarterback. And because you don't have a ton of tape on him, I don't know if I like that. But at the same time, I'll take the true sophomore over the guy that is a proven commodity like Jack Cohn that won a lot of games. Even if he didn't win here last year, he won a lot of games last year and is a proven Big Ten quarterback. So that is, I still think, advantage Illinois. And there are a few other things that I do like about that matchup. It is hard to sit here 15 days away from it and think that that would be a blowout. For one, it's the first game of the year. I think you're going to see in the first half teams kind of feeling each other out, maybe kind of a shaky start. I know the NFL didn't really have a shaky start, but for college football specifically and how they ramped it up in August and then they ramped it right back down, they were ramping it up again And there's no non-conference games. There's nothing to really get these guys into playing shape until they play. So it may be one of those first halves where there are some puzzling mistakes and neither team is really figuring things out. But this is where it's advantage Illinois. They have the quarterback that started all of last year, apart from a few games with injury, as opposed to Wisconsin that does not. And if you want to ask, well, which offense theoretically should be smoother On that first day, I got to think it would be Illinois. They got the same guy under center. They got the entire offensive line returning. They have some wide receivers that you feel pretty good about. I don't know if that top three is going to be what? Josh Matterbebe is your one for sure. Navarro and Washington at the two and three. I don't know. Those guys both had some really good plays for you last year. Tight end, you feel good about that depth. And running back, and, and Jeremy keeps harping on this along with the coaching staff. They feel really good about that with Chase Brown and with Epstein. So you feel as if, okay, this offense should at least be able to put some points on the board in Wisconsin to make that game interesting. And I do think that if they don't make mistakes, this Illinois offense should be able to get anywhere between 24, 27 points in a 60-minute ball game, even at Wisconsin. I do think that. The concern, of course, is it's Wisconsin, and we know what can happen. And I saw it two years ago at Camp Randall. It was not a very good Illinois team, but nonetheless, Wisconsin did what they do best, ran it down your throats, and then by the third quarter, they're peeling off 30-yard runs and just embarrassing you. Because of the lack of defensive line uh, known quantities that we have on this team for Illinois, it is difficult to sit here and say for certain that this defense is going to be able to keep that in check. We don't know if that's the case. If they can, though, just a little bit. I mean, this defense, we are not asking this defense to be great. We're asking them to be merely average. I'm not even asking them to be good. I'm asking them to be average. 8th, ninth in the Big Ten, that would be enough for this Illinois team to probably win five games because of the potential that you could have on offense, of course, with the caveat. they got to stay healthy. So it's a nice position to be in where 15 days away, we can look at that Wisconsin game and begin to prognosticate. I'm excited to see what the line is when it comes out. What are we thinking, like nine and a half? Something like that. 
If it were that much more, I would consider picking Illinois plus 10 or more points. Because again, first game of the year. And the fact that you should have a little more continuity on your offense than they should have on theirs. And I mentioned this in the last podcast, and it feels like I'm just saying this almost to wish it into existence. Wisconsin football cannot be this good every single year, right? It's got to end at some point. Maybe not. Maybe maybe this is just one of those things that keeps on rolling, but eventually this run has to end. And I can even take cues from the end of the Barry Alvarez era, a couple of the uh, Brett Bielema years, where things were floundering a bit. You know, they were merely okay. So 10 wins a year does not need to be the given up there. What if this is the year where things finally come back down to earth and you get the shot heard around the Midwest on that opening week in the Big Ten by winning up at Camp Randall? That would be fun, right? Judging by the Bears, and I know this is apples and oranges, but just judging by the way this NFL season has gone and how my NFL team has done, enough weird things can happen where Illinois could pull off this win. Am I going to talk myself into it, though? No. But what I will talk myself into is waking up on October 24th treating it like a normal game day. That excitement that you get in mid-October for any Big Ten game, you know, the chill in the morning air, and then you get that Indian summer sun, and I'm going to be pumped, and I think we all will. I just don't want to get to a situation where it's second quarter, it's 24-3, to <laughs> essentially a repeat of at Michigan State last year minus the comeback, where you get exasperated and you're like, why am I even watching this? I don't think we'll get there. I'd be disappointed if we did because while it would only be one game in this nine-game season, eight games that we know and a ninth game that we don't, in this shortened season, one bad half matters that much more. And it matters that much more, too, with the fact that this is an older team. And the coaching staff, and Lovey especially, continue to tell us that this team is going to be ready to go. And I know he kind of has to say that. That's his job. He's got to build it up and build anticipation. But on the other hand, just looking at the amount of experience that you have and this being year five, and think about that, year five for Lovey at Illinois. Has that been a long or a short five years? I, I can't really tell. It's been a weird five years. But you got to think in year five, you can make some hay. Fortunately for Lovey, that means a five and three record. That would be amazing entering that ninth game, and then maybe somehow working your way into a ninth game matchup against Michigan, where what the hell? Just play it and have some fun and get some coverage for another positive step for Illinois football. I think we would all take that happily, right? But you, you want to avoid. You want to avoid any situation, even in that first game at Wisconsin, right? All those factors in consideration, you want to avoid getting shellacked. That wouldn't feel good. That would feel all too similar to the first three Lovey Smith years, or... More to the point, any Beckman team that played Wisconsin and most Ron Zook teams that played Wisconsin, apart from, well, I'm trying to think, what was Ron Zook's record against Wisconsin? Beat them the Rose Bowl year. The year after that was a really frustrating loss in Madison. And then they lost to Russell Wilson in that Wisconsin team as well. So maybe maybe he only played them three times. But the last decade, minus what happened last year at Memorial Stadium, you can talk about your Ohio States. You can talk about your Penn States. Wisconsin was the team that you just weren't touching. And every game, it just became all too predictable. I don't want this game to become that kind of predictable, where they're rattling off the 30-yard run time and time again in the second half and just kind of making a mockery of you. There are no fans in Camp Randall. There are no fans in any stadium. I mentioned this a few podcasts ago, how I think that similar to Illinois basketball and how we saw last year, it didn't really matter if they were home or road, and sometimes they even played better on the road. 
that this sort of neutral court vibe that you're going to get the entire basketball season will play into this Illinois basketball team's hands. Similarly, with football, the lack of fans in attendance, the lack of any true home field advantage, I have to think that this would play into the hands of the teams that are more at Illinois' level than the teams that are way up top. So, for example, you go into the horseshoe, and you know what environment you're walking into. It's already tough enough to play Ohio State. It's that much more tough to play them with 100,000 screaming Ohio State fans that know hey, if they win this game in the next 11, they're going to a national t- title game again. But you don't need to worry about that factor. There's not that extra thing working against you. So for this Illinois team, that if they want to have a good year, they need to get a road win or maybe two. And there are a few winnable road games on the schedule. You take the fans out of the equation, and there's an opportunity there. That includes week one at Wisconsin. Moral victories, can you take those away in week one, or can you take them away in any week? You can take a moral victory away from Ohio State. I think you could still take a moral victory away from Wisconsin in that opening week. Maybe even, uh, I'm trying to think what the next toughest game would be, Minnesota or Iowa. But eventually, I don't know if moral victories count as much in year five. Last year, I was comfortable enough saying that, well, if you compete with some of these bigger teams, that's fine. What Illinois ended up doing, for the most part, was beating out of nowhere the Wisconsin's of the world, or winning at Michigan State. They didn't need moral victories to find their way to six overall victories. So that never quite came into play because they were either getting slaughtered like they did at Minnesota or I guess the second half of what we thought was a fake rally against Michigan that was actually kind of a, a harbinger of things to come for that team. But the moral victory equation that I thought would play more into last year and how we felt about that team, I don't know if that applies in year five. I still want to hold this team to higher standards. So while I can walk away from a loss at Wisconsin where you lose by 10 and not feel all that awful, I wouldn't feel fulfilled either. I know that's an obvious statement. Oh, you don't feel fulfilled after Illinois loses again? Of course, none of us would. But there wouldn't be that sense of, oh yeah, forward momentum, we're making progress. No, you're already there, right? This is an old enough team. You got a quarterback returning that you feel really good about, at least the coaching staff feels really good about, and I think we should feel comfortable with. You got enough pieces where you shouldn't be worrying about that. Just win some games. And we'll make final predictions and all that before the games actually start. I mean, the spectrum for me is three to five wins. And sadly, I think three wins is every bit as likely as five. Because a lot of the teams that we could look at and say that could be a win, just as easily, if not more likely, it could be a loss. And that would be the Minnesotas of the world, the Iowas of the world. You look at Purdue with Rondale Moore coming back, and that's the game after Wisconsin. Second game of the year, great opportunity to at least go one and one. But we know what Brahms' offenses can do when he's got pieces around it. And last year might be that aberration where you happen to play them on a really rainy Saturday and you did everything that you needed to to win that game and win so decisively. But Jeff Brahm, for as weird as that tenure has been there, we've seen it. And I don't want to see that here at Memorial Stadium where they're putting up 38 points like he did, what, two years ago, right? Or even a few years ago. And Jeff Brom would have gotten there, what, is this his fourth year? Or has he been there as long as Lovey? I need to check that. So all that said, uh, it's nice to be back in that moment. Brandon Peters, Luke Ford, they talked to the press. Of course, the press loved it. (laughs) I, I get it. I get it. Because... It has been a long slog to get back to this point. So when you finally hear from the quarterback, it's got to be exciting if you're on the beat. And then Luke Ford comes in yesterday. He said he had the Tony Stark mojo going, and he's all dressed up. And, you know, media types, they 
they love that stuff. I'm, I'm just happy to have fodder like that again. I don't find it always the most interesting. I'm just happy to have little sound bites here and there. That's a sense of normalcy that we get when football season starts. Last thing here, uh, Josh Amaterbebe has been very outspoken, and this is in line with what Lovey has talked about, wanting his guys to be engaged and active. And he's been a proponent of that even before, if you recall, even before all the Black Lives Matter really came to the forefront back in June with George Floyd and that situation. And Lovey spoke on it in Mike Tirico's show. You can go back to the Colin Kaepernick anthem situation, and Lovey would say things back then that were not all that veiled about how his team needs to use their voice, and he's going to help them do that. Now, I don't recall exactly how they handled that situation. I think they might have stayed back in the locker room during some of those anthems when that whole controversy started brewing up back in 2017. But regardless, he is telling these guys to be active now. So Tuesday night, as part of this week of entertainment, you know, sports and politics, we can say they don't mix. But at the end of the day, a debate is very much like a sporting event. And a boxing match, right? Two competitors jabbing each other, left and right, back and forth. At the end of it, maybe you declare a winner, maybe you don't. Maybe it is a draw. And it felt like for people that were watching it on Tuesday night with Mike Pence and Kamala Harris, essentially, you know, if you like Kamala Harris, you walked away thinking she won. If you like Mike Pence, you walked away feeling that he won. What that tells you is both of them were effective, right? They were both effective at what they had to do. Now, Joshua Matterbebe was tweeting during this, and I'm thinking back to when I was in college, and I, I know that in 2008, everybody on campus, I say everybody, but a large percentage, got really into it because Obama was one of those once-in-a-generation type of figures. I mean, he got the younger vote really excited to be a part of it, and it was one of two times that students, when I was at the school, ran down Green Street to the alma mater. The first one was when they beat Ohio State in 2007. The second one was when Obama won. Those were the two times. So again, sports and politics, not all that different, right? They can inspire the same sort of excitement, the same sort of venom and anger, right? But Josh was just kind of live tweeting this thing, and he had thoughts on different things. I I responded to one or two, but again, it was uh, what seemed to be fairly pleasant discourse. I can't speak for all the replies he was getting, But there was something that he mentioned that he said, y'all can speak y'all's mind. Why can't I? And I thought that this was interesting because there, there seems to be this weird disconnect. And Josh, for those that need some more context, has some conservative views, judging by his thoughts on Twitter. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. And I want to make clear, too, that any conversation we've had you would have to pour through the entire 200 level, and no one's going to do that. I understand that. And even my Twitter timeline to find that I don't mention the word conservative or Republican because I don't think there's any value, given this climate, into making it partisan. And people could say, well, you go after Trump. Isn't that partisan? I don't think so because having known conservative people and Republicans my entire life, if they're being honest about the platform of Republicans and conservative principles, Trump really doesn't embody that. He just happened to be the guy that swept up that particular nomination in 2016. And certainly there's been a lot of people that have fallen into his sort of cult of personality with that, right? But there is this weird thing that will happen. uh, And I see this specifically with maybe Trump supporters or sympathizers that when they are criticized, they say, well, I can't speak. You're taking away my right to speak. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, Josh, and this goes for a lot of people on Tuesday night as they're tweeting it out, just because you get a response that doesn't agree with you doesn't mean that they're saying you can't speak. 
It doesn't mean that you're getting canceled, cancel culture, whatever you want to call it. And I find that to be a really oddly dismissive sort of response. It is essentially, oh, you don't agree with me? Hey, come on, back off, back off. And just speaking as someone that remembers the text line at 93.5, or even when I tweet something out and the responses I'll get, that comes with the territory, right? It's one of those you can't have it both ways. I applaud Josh, and I applaud anyone on that team for speaking out. And Josh may be different than some of his teammates because we can estimate that a lot of kids, 18 to 22, lean more liberal than they do conservative. And again, judging by some of the things he says, he might be an anomaly in that locker room or one of a few. It's hard to tell. And I understand why that would maybe make someone feel as if they're being targeted or they can't speak their mind or something like that. But in the midst of this conversation, to throw that in there in the middle of, you know, 10, 11, 12 tweets where you are speaking your mind and able to do so freely, the idea that, well, you all can speak your mind and I can't, I I don't understand that. You are speaking your mind. You're literally doing that with that tweet sandwich in between it. No one, I hope, feels attacked, uh, though I get why they do, depending on certain responses. There are times where I'll get a tweet, uh, a reply to something that I said and think, whoa. (laughs) And I've seen a lot, you know, and I've muted certain people over the years because they aren't contributing in the conversation. And I thought, well, you know, I'm down for discourse, but if it's going to turn personal or insulting, I don't need to do that. But never once have I felt like people have said, be quiet. And I hope to goodness that I have never once said something on this or tweeted something indicating that someone just needs to be quiet. That is not the issue. I think if anything, people should amplify their voices. And then, I mean, you can make your own judgments, I guess, but no one's really canceling anybody. I always found that to be a really odd, I don't know, misinterpretation, I guess. This idea that, well, no one agrees with me or I'm getting a little bit of pushback. Therefore, well, you can speak your mind, but I can't. Literally, you are speaking your mind. So, Josh, keep doing it. You know, (laughs) whether or not I agree or disagree with your political thoughts or other people on Twitter do or do not, doesn't mean you should stop speaking it. Josh is one of those individuals I'd love to have a conversation with. And the same goes for, let's say, Austin back in 93.5. We are very different politically, but it was always good conversation. And I think what that also does is chips away at the notion that, well, there are certain things you can talk about, certain things you can't. Politics, religion. Now, granted, I'm not really going to broach religion because I'm not that well read on it. So I'm not at all going to start a conversation like that. I wouldn't be equipped to do it. And maybe I'm not equipped to do political conversations either. But I have noticed that a lot of the most fulfilling and fun debates, if you will, to go back to what we saw Tuesday night, are to engage in those conversations and to engage in them with people that don't agree with you. And I'm always happy to do that as long as it's a good faith argument, meaning that the person enters it by saying, here's what I'm thinking, right? I'm not claiming it to be 100% true, but here's what I'm thinking and here's why. And I'm sure that I come off as pretty strong-headed and bullish on things, but I have changed my mind about things before. I'll change my mind about things going forward. I know that. But in order to do that, it requires conversation. So I hope in, in closing, right, and this might be a weird kind of deviation to take here, but you know full well that this podcast has entered areas that we were not doing back in February and March. I know that there are people that I would call friends or at least people over the years through radio and stuff that have unfollowed me on Twitter that must have thought at some point, well, this is just too much. 
And I always try to think to myself, okay, well, was there a line or something that I went over? Was there a personal or insulting element that I started putting into my discussions on Twitter or on this podcast? I try to be very cognizant of that. And I'm sure that I've jumped over that line and probably turned some people off in the process. But in, in the grand scope of things, in this conversation, that's going to continue at least for the next 26 days, right? I mean, that is the story. The election is the story. We're 26 or 25, unbelievable, 25 days away from it. I think it's okay to have the conversations about it. Don't shy away from it. It's right there in front of us. It's the turd in the punch bowl. Someone's got to talk about it. And if we ignore it, it's just, it's silly. So thanks for coming along that journey with me. And if you're still listening, clearly you're okay with a little bit of that. And I hope that even if you aren't like-minded, it's not about you being like-minded with me. It's not about you being liberal or, or conservative. I, I frankly, I do mean this. I don't care which one a person is. I'm happy to have the conversation. So I appreciate you for letting me take part in it. All right. The 200 Level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. Get a custom zone with any toppings you want. And they got a lot of them. Or get one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. You get the dipping sauce on the side. Best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So if you don't want to go in that campus bubble, I know, all those college students, crazy kids. Don't worry, they'll bring it to you anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and Kirby.com. They got a new flying Illini t-shirt coming out. It looks awesome. So go to 4th and Kirby.com, check that out. I also highly recommend Big Guy. This is their Illini football shirt. It's what I'm going to wear every game day this year. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order. That's fourthandkirby.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Working with Brian closely, closing on this new house, homeowners insurance, auto insurance bundle. It's working out great for Karen and I. He's been easy to work with. Already knew him well before this, right? But this is the first time I've been able to deal with him one on one, and he's our guy. In fact, the domain name is perfect, brianismyguy.com. Well, Brian is our guy going forward. That's going to be our homeowners and auto for as long as I'm around. So I, I cannot vouch for him and his staff enough. Go to brianismyguy.com for any information. Let Brian Hansen be your State Farm insurance agent. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. All right, everybody. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope the Yankees win. I just hit the microphone there for some reason. I hope the Yankees win. You'll know maybe by the time you listen to this, if they did or did not, wish them luck. You don't need to do that. You don't need to wish the Yankees luck. They've had plenty in their time. But I would love to see a Yankees-Astros ALCS. And I would think, if people are being honest with themselves, okay, be honest. Astros-Yankees, after the cheating scandal, you're going to root for the Yankees, right? You're going to be a Yankees fan for those seven games. The bandwagon is in full, so join us. Join us, non-Yankee fans. It's going to be a fun week, as long as they can win game five. That's the big thing. The Rays are good, so I'm not taking anything for granted. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay healthy. Stay safe. See you soon. It is the 200 level.